The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for a reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3a. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Indeed, it's good to see everyone. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here, and I know that many family are in from out of town. If it's your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here, and it's good to see students home from college and uh, to see many who are here that we've missed seeing your face, so welcome. We do start Advent today. Advent is anticipation, and as you sung, What Child Is This?, that's really the sermon series for this Advent series is Hebrews, What Child Is This? Chapter 1 of Hebrews really addresses the answer to that question. Advent is all about waiting. It's about longing, longing for redemption. And Hebrews is all about the confirmation that Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And thus, Hebrews is the most appropriate text. The lyrics you sung said, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? The answer that Hebrews will give is that this child that we celebrate, Jesus, is the one who fulfills all of the longings that have been built up from the prophets and the temple and the priesthood, and the sacrificial system. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is everything God wants to say to us, is Jesus. Jesus is the new and final and superior high priest. He's the royal son. He's superior to the angels. And all of the longings of the people of God find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And so during this Advent, we want to ask what child is this and discover what Hebrews says of Jesus and then fix our eyes on Jesus that we may run the race set before us. So let's pray together and we'll dig in. Our Father, we ask that you would help us see Jesus and Him only. We ask that you would make clear to us the message of Advent, our hope in Jesus. Some of us come this morning and ask, what child is this? What's the big deal? Would you give saving faith today? Some of us sing and it's all too familiar and it feels distant from our heart. Would you enliven and refresh our faith today? Whatever the case, wherever anyone is today, giver of faith, 
deliver in abundance to all who are here. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to start off this series with a really big philosophical question. How can we possibly see the invisible God? I hope you know that's a question that's been asked throughout the ages. How can one possibly know God? How can one see a God who we declare in our confession is a spirit, invisible? Mostly throughout the first millennium, the answer was that God was unknowable. And that the only way you could know God was actually through negation. By saying what he was not, but you really couldn't know him. He's unknowable and invisible. You come to the medieval West and their confidence began to grow a little bit that humans could find God through this thing called natural theology. That you could base your knowledge of God on the observations of the world and through that you might finally discover God. And then if you're acquainted with philosophy, the enlightenment came. And the enlightenment began to say, we know how you can see the invisible God. We know how you can get to God. It's through human reason. It's through the mind. Think your way through observations of this world. Think your way through observations and knowledge, and you can find God. Later, after modernity, postmodernity comes, postmodernism. And it cast all suspicion on anyone that would claim to know the one true God and says anyone that would claim such is actually one who is coercive and you should avoid. For who can know what is absolutely true for all because suddenly knowledge of God became a matter of what? Personal experience. It was up to my subjective understanding, and suddenly the answer to how can I see God began to be through the answer through the authority of the self, which is where we are today. So through the ages, the question, how can I see the invisible God, has been asked. He's unknowable. You can only know him by what he's not. Natural theology, reason, personal experience. But throughout all of these areas, one answer has remained the same as to how can you see an invisible God. And the answer is this. We know God through revelation. Not mere observation. Not by reason. Not by knowledge alone. Not by experience. The only way you can know the invisible one true God is by revelation. And revelation is the opposite of discovery because it's God who reveals himself. Humans, listen, do not discover God. God reveals himself to humans. And here's the good news. The covenant God known as Yahweh talks. He speaks. That, that's what's said in Hebrews 1. He speaks. Our God reveals himself. Here's really good news in case you're wondering this this morning. God is not hidden from us. He's revealed himself to us. But as Tim Chester wisely notes, 
our problem is not only our creatureliness, the gap between us as creature and creator in knowing God, but our corruption in sin. Our minds are darkened in sin. And if we are to know anything of God, God must renew our capacity to know him and reveal himself to us. We do not find God. God finds us and reveals himself to us. So what we'll see this morning is that God's revelation is as much an act of grace as his redemption. God's revelation of himself is at the heart of Advent anticipation and at the heart of Christmas celebration. Our God speaks in his Son, and here is the big idea. Jesus is everything God wants to say to you. Jesus is everything God wants to say to us. So first look, God speaks the anticipated word of God in the last days in verses 1 and 2. And in Hebrews 1, it's as if the author comes to the table with a lot of assumed knowledge because he is writing the people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people who would have been very familiar. So he just goes into how God reveals himself. And he says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God speaks. We're going to see that's really good news. God reveals. God speaks. He spoke in the former days, he says, with the prophets. Nancy Guthrie, a wonderful writer, wisely points out that just as children are first taught letters, and then you're taught words, and then you're taught sentences, and you begin to put them all together. God began revealing to us with a picture book of symbols and ceremonies throughout the Old Testament. Letters that became words, that became sentences, a picture book building anticipation for what was to come on the next pages. Prophets spoke, poets wrote. The story of the children of Israel was written down by more than 40 writers over a 1,500-year span, anticipating that God would speak with some measure of finality, not just in letters or words or sentences, but in full HD color. In these past days, God spoke, he writes. But then the writer of Hebrews says in verse 2, but in these last days. You see, the last days, please hear me, they don't refer to something out here. People say, I wonder if the last days are coming. I want to tell you, these are the last days. Because the last days were connected with the period in which the Messiah would come. The last days were the moments when you anticipated living in light of the Messiah's coming. And Christ has come. And he will come again. And so the writer says, in these last days, what has he done? He's spoken to us by his son. God moves in the last days from speaking in bits and pieces and parts to speaking with final, complete 
authoritative word in the person of Jesus. There is no fuller, there is no more final speech from God than Jesus himself. Jesus is everything God wants to say to you. That's the truth of Hebrews. And like the former prophets, Jesus spoke the word of God. But listen, he did not speak them as a servant merely, but as God in flesh, the eternal word, as John 1, 1 through 4 tells us. Now, what is the significance of a God who speaks? Obviously, go back to the question, how can you know the invisible God? He has to reveal himself. So it's really important that the God, the one true God, speaks or else we cannot know him. Consider all the false gods. Consider the significance of our speaking God in contrast to what I'll say, dumb, cannot speak, false gods. And I want to take you to a story to consider the desperate situation when you follow a God that can't talk to you. 1 Kings 18. The memorable scene on the mountain with Elijah and hundreds of false prophets dancing around and shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. And 1 Kings 18, 26 says, But there was no voice and no answer. And they limped around the altar they made. Desperate to hear from their God that they were sacrificing to. And he's silent. And Elijah mocks. This is in the Bible. He says, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Perhaps your God's asleep. Elijah's saying, I can't hear your God. Our God speaks. How many ceremonies had these prophets participated in without hearing so much of a sigh from the one they revered? And that's true of all of our idols as well. Our idols, you may think they speak because they make false prophet promises to you that they never deliver on. But just even those three key idols, money, sex, power, those idols, you may think they speak and promise, but they will be silent unto your death. But how do you know the one true God? He speaks. Listen, what is gladly distinct to Christianity is that we worship by the open ear. There's no religion like this. We worship by the open ear because our God speaks. And here's the good news of that. We're not left in the dark to speculate how to please or placate our God. We're not, we do not live confused lives manipulated by irritable, silent, unpredictable gods. Do you know what that's like? Read 1 Kings 18. To have a God that will not speak to you but demands things of you as you assume is a life of manipulation and coercion and guilt. But our God makes clear who he is and how to know him and the way to salvation. No one can escape his speech in the world, Psalm 19. No one can escape his speech in the word. Our God speaks. The question of Hebrews 1, you will find, is this. 
It's very simple. Are we listening? Are we listening? If you can't hear him speak through his word of Jesus, I invite you today to say, open my ears that I may hear you. Unstop my ears that I may hear the God who speaks and see Jesus who's everything God wants to say to me. And you see that as we've already pointed out in verse 2. God authoritatively speaks in his son and you began to see the identity of the living word of God. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Who is speaking to us? What is the final word of God to us? It's Jesus. And who is this one? Before we hear the message of the word, let's consider the identity of of the living word. Number one, he is the beloved only son and thus he is the appointed heir. He has spoken to us by his son. Up until the last days, the vision of God was at best fragmentary, preparatory. It was through subordinate servants, but when Jesus comes, God's revelation is complete. It's final. It's through the son who's not a subordinate, but he's the supreme one. The beloved son speaks two times. The father opens up his voice from heaven in the life of Jesus. And both times, what does he say? This is my son. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he adds, listen to him. He's everything I want to say to you. And because he's the only son, that's why the writer says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. As only son, he's the sole heir of everything that the father gives. And that means he can make true everything he promises because everything belongs to him. And here's the really good news of Jesus being the appointed heir. Jesus doesn't have to split his inheritance. But graciously and gladly, he does. With us. Galatians 3, 29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And in Romans chapter 8, hear these good words of the appointed heir. Verses 15 through 17, he says in Romans 8, 15 through 17, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then guess what? Heirs. Jesus is gracious, generous. He doesn't have to split his inheritance, but he shares it with us by grace. That's the one who speaks, the beloved son, the appointed heir. And then Hebrews goes on to make sure you understand that this final word from God 
this son is both the mighty creator and the powerful sustainer of everything. He says in the text, through whom also he created the world. Who spoke all of creation into existence? Jesus, the eternal Son, who sustains everything with the word of his power. Jesus, the eternal mighty one. And what the Hebrew writer is saying here is very simply this. The one who speaks is the beloved son. He's the appointed heir, and he's God. Jesus is God. Second person of the Trinity, God in flesh. And God speaks to us through him. Jesus doesn't just speak the world into existence and leave it on autopilot, but he's the one who by the word of his power commanded the sun to rise today and rain to fall on you and everything that exists in this universe to happen and to function. It's mind-boggling. You ever been to Disney World and wondered, who runs this thing? Like there must be an invisible being pulling all the levers. It runs so smoothly. We're talking about the entire universe held together by one word of his power, Jesus. God in flesh, only son, heir of all things, who graciously shares it with his people. That's who's speaking. So go back to the fourth century. And hear from a man named Athanasius and be really encouraged in 2022 that we're not believing in something new. This is survive the ages because it's true. Athanasius says, when the sacred writers say that he is before all ages and that through him he created the world, they promote the eternal and everlasting being of the Son and thereby designate him as God. He speaks to us. This is really important. Jesus speaks to us, not as a subordinate servant like Moses or David or Isaiah. He speaks to us as the eternal Son. Therefore, hear the voice of heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to him. Listen to him. And what is he saying? Point three, God clearly speaks in his son. And what is the message of the living word? It's twofold. You look at Jesus. You see Jesus. And the message is the very glory of God and the exact representation of God. That's what he's saying to us. The radiant glory. What a statement in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, you know, sun rays come forth from the sun, and they are in essence sunlight, and in the same way Jesus' radiance of glory, the sun rays are how the sunlight comes to us. 
That's how God comes to us in this radiant glory. Jesus, the radiance, is the very essence of God's glory that comes down to us. Do you remember the glory cloud of God's presence that followed the people of God along? Here's the good news. Jesus is the ultimate glory cloud. Fully and finally come. He is the glory of God. If you want to know the glory of God, you must know Jesus. Here's an important distinction, though. Hear this. There's a difference between radiance and reflection. Being the radiance of God is far more superior and far more weighty than being a reflection of God's glory. For if you remember Moses, he reflected God's glory as he came off the mountain. After being enveloped in God's glory, his face was discernibly different because he had been in the presence of God. And though that was remarkable, Moses was not the glory. He was reflecting the glory. He simply reflected the brilliance that was outside of himself. In other words, Moses got a suntan. But he is not the son. Jesus does not come to us suntanned from being in the presence of an eternal glorious father. Jesus is the glorious son, the bright shining glory in flesh. That is stunning. That's why the incarnation is mysterious and blows your mind. And we rehearse it year after year after year. God in flesh, the glory cloud with skin on. What else does he say? He says he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the exact representation of God. Looking at Jesus is like looking at God in the mirror. Jesus is the exact representation of God. This word where you read the exact imprint, the original language would speak of character. The Greek word for character was connected to imprint because it was connected to communication. In the ancient world, there was the idea of engraving or of stamping soft or hot metal with a pattern which the metal would then bear, the emperor would employ an engraver. And that engraver would carve the royal portrait and suitable words of abbreviations on a stamp or a die made of hard metal. And then the engraver would use the stamp to make what? Coins that gave the exact impression of who? The ruler. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is the stamp, the exact. You want to know what God's like? Do you want to know what God's like? Jesus. He's the exact representation of God. So I ask, how's your vision of God being formed? Some of us Wrongly and understandably, maybe we've been taught this, believe that God the Father is the heavy-handed, angry ogre who's the bad cop. And that Jesus is the softer side, the nice guy. 
the good cop, who keeps his daddy placated from his rage spilling out. That's not true. Everything you see of Jesus is what God's like. There is not a heavy side and a softer side. There is the character of God exactly represented in the person of Jesus. So, But others of us may have had our vision of God formed, and this has happened in recent days at a level that is unlike anything I've seen. We've had our vision of God sadly formed by the hypocrisy, the failure, and the haughtiness of his followers called the church. I've seen more people walk away from God in the last years because of the church. Don't do that. We're reflection, not radiance. And sometimes we're really, really poor reflection. Look to the radiance. Look to the exact representation. Do you want to know what God is really like? Do you want to know the invisible God? See Jesus. In John 14, 8 through 9, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen what? The Father. Jesus himself says, do you want to know God? See me. A Sunday school teacher once told a very young class of students an illustration. And this really brings everything to bear of who is speaking to us and what's he saying and how do you know God. And he said this, I want you to assume the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, is likened to this one sheet of paper. This represents 92 million miles, the distance between the earth and the sun. In that case, the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. Seven basketball goals. The diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And this galaxy is just a speck of dust in the entire universe. And this Jesus who speaks to us, the Sunday school teacher would say, holds the entire universe, not just the stack of paper. And then she pointedly asked the students this. Now, is that the kind of person you asked to be your assistant? What child is this? He's not a personal assistant. He's not an occasional consultant that you hire and fire. This child is God in flesh who created and sustained all things with all power, and he is far more worthy than in a token, occasional nod and glance from those he saved. 
God speaks fully and finally in his son Jesus, and we hear that speech in his word. Indeed, Jesus is everything God desires to say to us. Are we carefully, humbly listening? He's worthy. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the revelation that you give graciously. We fell into sin and misery. There's no requirement of your further revelation, and yet you immediately showed up in the garden seeking us out, promising salvation, clearly in word. We thank you that we are not left to guess about how to serve and follow and know our God. You've given it to us in your word. You're a God who speaks, a God who reveals. And we thank you that your full final word is in Jesus. Would you forgive us for how we make you a mere assistant or a consultant, giving you a token nod or an occasional glance? We ask you to take over the entirety of our lives. Because in knowing you, we know God. And in knowing God, there is life forever. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.